Hello, everybody. Welcome in to Locked In Episode 2. I am one, your host, Jordan Chiro, along with my partner, Kendall Caps. Kendall, what's going on, buddy? Going on, man. How you doing? Good, man. I'm good. I'm excited to talk some NBA today. We have the All-Star Game on March 7th in Atlanta. Probably shouldn't be happening, but it's happening. We're going to talk about some Boston Celtics. What's going on with them? They're currently in, I believe, 10th place, 15 and 17 on the year. What's going to happen with them? And we're going to have a special Kendall Caps recap segment. Going to talk some tennis. Going to get crazy and talk about that. Looking forward to that. We're also going to touch a little bit on some NFL football I mean, if it's one thing or another with another quarterback wanting out, um, Russell Wilson. So we're going to touch on him and uh, will he maybe one out of Seattle? I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, like you never know. I mean, you get I mean, like what's next? Aaron Rodgers next week and then Tom Brady's going to, you know, like ask for a trade. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with, with, with the quarterback? So it's been a wild offseason. So anyways, let's jump right into it. Let's talk some NBA. So we got the All-Star game on March 7th. With everything that's going on, like we heard from uh, some players, Darren Fox mentioned it, LeBron James mentioned it, they don't want to have an all-star game. I'm in that boat as well. What do you think? Do you think that there should be an all-star game this year with COVID? I mean, I like the idea. I'm, I'm actually planning on watching some of it, which a lot of years it's hit or miss for me. I've never been big on the Pro Bowl all-star festivity games. If anything, the Skills Challenge Saturday night I've always thought was more exciting to watch. Um, I'm planning on watching a little bit more of the All-Star game this year, in part because I'm locked down, and maybe that's David Silver's thinking um, with this, this, you know, forcing them to have this All-Star game. But it is a little confusing knowing there aren't going to be fans there. So, I mean, personally, I'm going to watch some, and it'll be cool to see. But, yeah, I'm also equally confused and wondering why it is that they are really going forward with this. Well, they're still also going to have an uh, all-star Friday night, which they're going to have a slam dunk competition. And I believe a three point contest as well. So, you know, like the NBA, like it's all about money and, but it's, it's so funny to me because the all-star game is all about the fans and seeing all the stars. And if you can't have fans there, why are we having the game? Why not just announce the rosters and just move forward? I, I like I, I don't understand. Like, but you know what? I'm like at the end of the day, I I believe you know like they'll still get high ratings. People will watch it, and people want to see the NBA stars. So I don't I don't think they should have the game, but it's going to happen, and um, it is what it is. I do need to bring up this because this is just fascinating to me. Um, every single year. The NBA allows fans to vote on what rosters should be the starting rosters. I personally think that is the dumbest thing that they allow fans to do because, I mean, let's be honest here. Here's a perfect example. Clay Thompson, hello. He uh, tore his ACL. I'm sorry. I think it was he tore his Achilles in the offseason. Yeah, his Achilles last in the off season, and he was like, I believe, 18th in fan voting this year. I mean, it's just like the guy is not even playing, and fan- so I don't think fans take it seriously. They just who they want to vote in, and they'll vote like uh, literally a thousand times. I don't know who has the time to do that, but apparently a lot of people do. I know the coaches pick like the reserves, 
I wouldn't even mind if the players had a more active role in it. A lot of these guys follow each other. They play against each other on a nightly basis. And, yeah, having so much emphasis. And and I'm torn a little bit because I do understand wanting the fans having an involvement in the All-Star game. The All-Star game, like you mentioned earlier, is about the fans. And this this allows them to have their own imprint on what they will see. But at the end of the day, I don't trust the average fan. The average fan is not like you and myself. They might not know or recognize that Clay Thompson is out. Or years ago, Vince Carter played three games and was voted as a starter. There was another player. I think it was like the year after Yao Ming retired, he was voted a starter. And it was like, you know, you're trusting the masses when the masses might not really be in the know. So it's one of those things where you want to appease the fans and make them feel involved, but at the same time, not everyone really follows the sport as closely as they should to have that much of an impact. Agreed. Speaking of all-star mm-hmm. teams, I'm curious what you think. Uh, you know, there's there's debate, and this happens in every sport, uh, but whether or not you think players from bad teams should make an all-star team. If a team is terrible and they have a, one or two really good players – you know, should they take the spot of that second guy? For example, uh, even though I guess they're a little bit better now, but Julius Randle and the Knicks who were struggling all year, Randle's having a great year, but then you have a guy like Chris Middleton who's left out, who's averaging 26-6, and six, shooting 43% from downtown, 50% from the field, 90% from the line. So he's a 90-50-40 guy, which is like elite numbers. Normally, those kinds of numbers put you almost in an MVP-type category, and he's not even going to make the All-Star team. My take on it is I think that um, players that are on bad teams should not make an All-Star team. I feel that you have to prove that you can win in this league with the stats behind it. I mean, like a good example is like somebody like Trey Young who literally is scoring 27 points and 9 assists a game, and he wouldn't there's no way that he that he would have a chance of making the team just because the Hawks stink and uh, they're 14, 18 on the year. But, um, you know, like I look at another example of like somebody who um, who got put into the All-Star game, but it, but recently didn't make the team was Devin Booker. And the Phoenix Suns are a really, really good basketball team. They're actually uh, fourth. And he wasn't even considered to make an all-star team. So Yeah, yeah, just... he only got there because of AD's injury, I think. Exactly. Right? So it's like all over the place. Like it, it it's so imbalanced that I'm just like, well, what generates this person? What is the criteria? Right. It's just like well, like I don't understand. But my stance on it is I think you have to be on a winning team or an ascending team to make an all-star team with the stats. But Somebody like Zion Williamson, like this guy, ever since he's gotten in the league, like, like the Pelicans get like 20 in his first two years, like 20 primetime games and they stink. <laughs> it's like just because <laughs> of Zion Williamson, that's it. Just because he generates them a ton of money and like the ratings. And it's just like, you know, like, well, but, but let's not lose sight of the fact that He's also a phenomenal basketball player. For him to come into the league and do what he's done with the pressure that was on him. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, he was touted as the next, maybe the most prolific guy coming into the league since LeBron James. Mm-hmm. And he 
he and he alone has supplanted LeBron James for points in the paint per game. Like LeBron has dominated that for years and he's getting something like, like 15, 20 buckets a game. He doesn't miss from down there. He's eight and nine seemingly every night in the paint. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, when he gets the ball down there, it's, it's gold. I'm, I'm like, I think he's a great basketball player, but I'm just not a fan of his game. I like guys who can space the floor they can shoot threes. Like they've got a pretty good mid-range game. Zion Williamson, he is like a bull in a china shop. He goes in there, he's gonna he, he's gonna barrel into you, but he has so much control with his size. Yeah. He's like a ballerina out there. Like I mean, like it's unbelievable. He he's so nimble on his feet. But yeah, his agility is off the charts. It's yeah. Off the charts because like he can go in like full speed, take the body contact and finish like a ballerina. It, it's, it's unbelievable, yeah. but yeah, he's got a soft touch. Good finish around the rim. Like I personally like that brand of basketball. I like that old school physicality, eighties, nineties ball mm-hmm. when you could hand check guys. And you know, there wasn't a foul called every time you sneezed on someone. Mm-hmm. I actually, pre- I really, really enjoyed that. The game has clearly changed over the last couple of decades. Like we've seen across a bunch of different sports. Football is very similar where they wanted to be, more open and offense oriented for the fans and scoring in threes and all that, which, you know, Steph Curry, admittedly, he really had a big imprint on changing the game and the way it's played. Uh, but I, I still really enjoy watching that bull in the China shop, as you said. Yeah, it's, um, he is a fun watch, but um, yeah, I, I think he has a little ways to go like in his game. He's got to be able to shoot the three space the floor a little bit, but I mean, he's only been in the league two years. I mean, give him time, but he, well, and he's gotten better. That was the big knock on him is can he shoot? Cause we almost never saw him shoot from the outside very much. Right. And even though he hit it at a good rate, like the, the, there just wasn't a sample size to really trust. And it wasn't really there in his rookie year, but it seems like he's made some strides. And if he continues to just be, just an average shooter from out there, knowing what he can do down low uh, and like his ability to draw contact and get to the line as often as he does, he's going to be a force in this league for years to come. Agreed. Agreed. Um, Let's talk about the starters and the all-star reserves. So on the West, we have uh, starting Luka Dantich, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. The East, you have Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and help me out with his last name. Antetokounmpo. There you go. And Kyrie Irving. Um, I had Giannis on my team and named my team the <laughs> Alphabet's All-Stars. So like, nice. I was all about pronouncing his name for years. I didn't even try to. Like, I tried to, but I was like, no, like it's not. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> And then the reserves for the West, we have Anthony Davis, who will not play. He will be out. Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Zion Williamson. For the East, Jalen Brown, James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Vucevic. So basically, um, the rosters, I wasn't really surprised by any outside of like – um, a couple who were my favorite to make an all-star team who have both been balling this year um, were Julius Randle and Zach Levine out of, and I think much deserving for both players. I think they've had phenomenal years so far. What do you think about the rosters? I mean, 
I was surprised at how deep, if you go and you look at all these guys, both the starters and the reserves numbers, it, and maybe it's a product of the new game is and scoring is way up. Defense is down. Teams are averaging, giving up 115, 117 a game. So maybe that has played a part into why guys are scoring at such a prolific rate this year. But across the board, you look at these guys' numbers and what they're doing. It, it's hard to argue with any of these guys because when we talked about like a Middleton not making it despite putting up a 90, 50, 40 season with 26 and six, if you're going to put him into the game, now you got to take someone out. And when you look at the East roster, who isn't deserving from that roster? Like they're all having amazing years. Mm-hmm. Like Zach Levine, you talk about a guy who's ascending 29 points a game in, in the last few years, it's like 15, 20, 25, 29 this year. He's also moving the ball a lot. He can shoot from outside, which everyone knew, but he's shooting from the field, 52% from the field. And the knock on him is he, he just couldn't shoot the ball a couple of years ago. I mean, and, you know, that's the first name if you're just looking at names. Oh, maybe Levine isn't deserving. And you look at his stats, and he's having a phenomenal year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to find a guy that you would have to take out to put in a Middleton or a Trey Young or even, like, Mike Conley, you know, like, he, he might have been the missing piece. Utah was a good team last year, and they're hands down the best team in the NBA to this point this season. They became the first team in NBA history to win 22 of their first 32 games by double digits. First team ever huh. to do that. I mean, that's – and it's essentially the same team adding Mike Conley in, and I think that's – it's they created – they gave a floor general to an offense that needed that. They've had talent. They obviously have defensive prowess, especially with Gobert having another monster year, 14 and 14 with like three blocks a game, shooting 68% or something ridiculous like that. Um, But now you have a guy that can run the offense and they just look really, really good. And to back up, you know, he's putting up 16 and six, shooting 42% from downtown. You know, you can make the argument that he is deserving of being there. But again, who are you taking out? I mean, Steph's having an awesome year. Lucas having an awesome year. Like, there's so many guys, especially in the West at the guard position, you know, as it has been for years. So it's it's just really tough. There's there's certain guys every single year that they're they're shoe ins to make the All Star team. I mean, like every single year, usually Steph Curry, uh, Jokic, LeBron, Kawhi. So like, it's so hard to even make the starting roster. You know, like you add in Luka Doncic, but you know, like that, that spot was filled probably by like Chris Paul. That was like the starter for yep. so many years. So it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, like until these guys start retiring or just have bad years, I mean, like they're just stars and they just hold their spot every single year. Just like Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Giannis, like Kyrie, like, <laughs> like it's the same starting, starting five, which I'm kind of surprised that, that James Harden is not starting. Like, I was kind of like, what? Like, he's a reserve? Like, seriously? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, like, it's kind of weird because he's he's probably started so many years in a row. So I'm like, all right. Like, well, Bradley I guess maybe they, just, they don't. Well, I, I mean, it was up to the fans. And I guess the, he just didn't yeah. quite get enough votes to get there. But that would have been crazy if he was starting. Then you have three of the Brooklyn Nets starting in the All-Star game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have you seen the Brooklyn Nets play? Like, I'm picking them to win the championship this year. Like, they are. They have the best offense in the league, like averaging like 120, 20 some points a game. Like they are absolutely loaded. They're just steamrolling teams. They have great 
um, great pieces to go around Harden, Kyrie and Durant's been out for so long. So like when he gets back, like, how do you, like, like, how do you guard three superstars plus a lot of great role players? Guys, you don't, you don't, you can't. I mean, there was a reason why they continued to add on after, uh, you know, bringing KD and Kyrie in, they knew in this league, it's not a two star league anymore, unless LeBron and AD last year. For the most part, it's been three guys for many years mm-hmm. now. And right. they add in Harden. They are going to be really difficult to beat. I'm sure Philly will have something to say about it. Uh, Milwaukee won't be an easy out necessarily. Maybe someone else from the East, you know, put something together. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, in the NBA, stars win titles more so than any other sport on the planet, more than in, in team sports. And they, I mean, it's hard to beat that top three for sure. I mean, Kyrie. Mad props to Kyrie for turning it around. I couldn't believe when I looked up his stats, I knew he was having a good year. I didn't know how phenomenal of a year he's shooting. For a point guard to be shooting 53% on the season, like 40 above 40 from downtown, 27, 8, and 7, something like something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, some Kyrie numbers we haven't seen in years. And I wondered how he was going to fit in. There was pressure. You're in New York. Uh, but obviously he's he's thriving in it. Um, and yeah, they're, they're going to be a tough out for sure. James Harden right now in 20 games with the, um, Brooklyn Nets, he's averaging 25 points a game, eight and a half rebounds, 11 assists and one and a half steals a game. Like he's, yeah, he's just balling right now. And Kyrie is balling. I mean, like, I mean, like he's played like the Nets played the Kings twice in the last couple of weeks, and they've just absolutely torched them. Kyrie looks like the old Kyrie. Well, to be fair, the Kings yeah. got torched by you know just about everyone for the last month, so that's not really saying a whole lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I had to take that jab. But see, but see, all fans are gonna fall into the trap just like I do to be like, okay, wait, wait, just hold on because it's gonna get better because we're gonna get to the um, NBA draft lottery and we'll be in the top four and then they'll get screwed in the draft lottery and they'll move back three spots and then they'll pick the wrong guy at the draft, right? Like, does that sound about right? Exactly, yeah. That that sounds right to me. All right, that's cool. That's about their mo at this point. So yeah, so when I mentioned that there were teams. Milwaukee will might have something to say about it. Philly will definitely have something to say about it. And maybe another team in the East. That kind of brings me to the Boston Celtics. A lot of people thought, okay, this might be the year that they finally take that next step. They've been to the Eastern Finals three of the last four years. Now you have one more year of age and experience with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Uh, and at the time when they let her go, it looked like that was a, deci- a good decision. He's actually having a great bounce back year. So that, that move might not have worked out so well, but... They're sitting at 15 and 17. There's rumors swirling. You know, is uh, uh, Brad Stevens sitting on the hot seat? A lot of talk. I, I guess the owner came out recently and said, no, we have no plans on, on replacing him, which is probably the right move because you'd have a hard time finding a coach as good as him just out there. But at the same time, sometimes even good coaches can just lose the ear of, of your team. And you have to wonder, is, is that what's happening there in Boston? Well, let me just give you something of their last three games here, Boston Celtics. The Atlanta Hawks, they blew out the Celtics on Wednesday night. They won by about 15 points. Danilo Gallinari set a Hawks franchise record with 10 three-pointers. The Hawks as a team made 23, which is a record for a Celtic opponent. Tatum and Brown won for 14 from three. The Celtics have now lost three in a row. 
and they said, just like you said, 15 and 17, 10th place in the East. In their previous two games before that, the Celtics gave up a 24-point second-half lead to the lowly Pelicans, and then they lost a game winner to the Mavs. I think they're in trouble. I think they need to do something. Like, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. I don't think it's Brad Stevens. I don't like I think Brad Stevens is a phenomenal coach. Obviously, I don't watch a lot of Boston Celtics games, so I don't really know. I only really see them like when they're on TV on some of the bigger bigger games on TNT or ESPN or when they yep. play the Kings, but um I don't know who's to blame. Well, I don't know. Okay, so as a huge Boston Celtics fan, I can illuminate a little bit of the issue. Um and clearly so you know, the off-season Departure from Gordon Hayward didn't help. The injury to Marcus Smart, who was the bulldog of the team, certainly did not help. Um, Kendrick Perkins actually recently talked about it, and he said he reminded him of himself. Even though they play very different positions, they bring a certain toughness and mentality to a team that appears to be lacking. And when you hear Danny Ainge calling out the team saying they're not playing with enough effort, I think that speaks to that same issue that they're having. And don't get me wrong, Brad Stevens... X's and O's wise might be the best coach in the game. He's definitely one of the best coaches coming out of timeouts, drawing up plays. He's a master. I see it time after time. You know, he knows when to call timeout and when they come out, they almost always score. Um, So I've always appreciated that. But even when you think back to his days at Butler, he's never had to manage egos, right? He never, there weren't any superstars there. And now all of a sudden, these young kids that look like they could become superstars are turning into just that. And you wonder if he's having an issue trying to figure out how to balance, uh, you know, feeding the ego of the young stars of the team, but still getting minutes to certain players. He's been messing with rotations and trying to figure out who's going to work and, and nothing is really sticking. And of late, it's just, it's, it's looked really bad. You know, the, the one saving grace for them at this point is the East outside of the top three spots, four through, what is it, four through 11 are separated by probably a handful of games. Yeah, the Pacers are 15 and 15, and they're the four seed. And mm-hmm. so the Celtics are a game and a half out of the four seed. I mean, they're, or excuse me, I'm sorry, they're a game out of the four seed. They're just two back in the loss column. So, so I mean, there's still easily chance to make the postseason and, and plenty of season left to do it. Uh, but something needs to change. And I don't know if it's a move at the deadline or what it's going to be, but something, I think something has to change. I don't really feel bad for Celtics fans. Like no offense to Celtics fans out there. I mean, I'm a Sacramento Kings fan. Okay. We don't have Jalen Brown. We don't have Jason Tatum. We don't have Kemba Walker. We don't have Marcus Smart. So I don't feel bad for you guys. You know, I mean, like you guys are still the very, very good team. Hey, you have Buddy Heald. <laughs> oh, stop it. No, like we have De'Aaron Fox and we have Tyrese Halliburton. We have that, okay? So that's good. But um, I don't feel bad for you guys. But, like, I do think you guys will turn it around. But <clears throat> I think losing Marcus Smart was so big because he was – he is the identity for the Boston Celtics. He brings that toughness, that edge that they need every game. And I just think that they've lost that. I mean, like, do you think Marcus Smart would really allow the Pelicans to come back from down 24? No. Like, he would go in there, and he would hit some guys. He'd be, he'd be all over the floor. 
like diving for loose balls. Like that's just what he. Well, does. he also and gets in guys' faces when you need to on you know on the sideline yeah. during timeouts. He's he's that kind yeah. of player, and and they they're certainly missing that when you watch them play nowadays. But you know, like I said, the East is a mess. So that my guess is they still put it together a little bit. They'll, they'll be in the postseason, but I think their championship window for this season is certainly out the out the window, out the door. Like you think so already? I mean, I mean, just I mean, like looking at what the East point. is with the Sixers, the Nets, and the Bucks at the top, and the Nets looking like a super team. It mm-hmm. they're going to have a really hard. They could beat one of those teams in a postseason series. More than likely, they would have to beat two, maybe all three of them, that's not going to happen with the way the team is constructed currently. So what you're saying is Danny Ainge will not be making a trade, but he will be very close to making a trade, and we'll talk about it like a week later about the trade that Danny Ainge almost pulled off but didn't. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Because that's what he does. Like That's what he's known for. So we'll see. Uh, The trade deadline is March 25th, so we will see what players will get moved and what teams will either get worse or get better. Yep. All right. The moment we've all been waiting for Kendall caps caps recap segment. Going to talk some tennis. Take it away, Kendall. Yeah. So we just had the Australian open uh, just a couple weeks ago. And even though it kind of flew under the radar, even though tennis typically flies under the radar a little bit, uh, the average sports fan out there, I am an avid sport sports fan who covers just about everything, and the Australian Open in tennis is, is no different. And Novak Djokovic, once again, played superb throughout the tournament, won his 18th Grand Slam title. That pulls him within two Grand Slam titles of Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal with 20 for the most all-time. And everyone knows the big three, for the most part, are considered arguably the three greatest players of all time. It is, I am making the argument, even though it pains me to make this, because I am a very large Roger Federer fan, it pains me to make this argument, but I I feel it needs to be stated that Novak Djokovic either is the GOAT already or will be very soon, and this is why. Federer and Nadal, each with 20, like I said, most ever, Djokovic now with 18, two back. Djokovic, however, holds a winning record versus both Federer and Nadal. Nadal, in my book, is eliminated from GOAT conversation because 13 of his 20 Grand Slams are at the French. He is undoubtedly, undoubtedly the greatest clay court player ever. I don't think anyone would debate that. But he's clearly not even as close to his dominant on grass or hard court. So that leaves Djokovic and Federer. Federer is the most consistent player ever. He's my favorite player ever. I love watching him. It's like grace and beauty, you know, in action. And he still holds the record for most Grand Slam finals in a row with 10, Grand Slam semis in a row with 23, quarters in a row with 36. But Joker's in second in almost all those categories. And he outplays Fed head to head. He's 27 and 23 versus Fed, 11 and 6 in Grand Slam. So he wins two thirds of the time in Grand Slams and 13 and 6 in tournament finals. So when it matters most, he has outperformed Federer. And as we know, when we rank the greatest of all time in any sport, there's a large emphasis, especially with me, on how you do in the biggest of moments. It's the reason I've been arguing for Brady for so long as the GOAT. It's what he does in the biggest of moments. You know that he's going to come through. And in those moments, we have seen Federer shrink too many times, and Djokovic has not. And then don't forget, Federer got a jump on Djokovic and Nadal by a few years, playing against an old Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi when those two weren't on the circuit yet. 
Now, again, I am one of the biggest Roger Federer fans that you will find, and I believe that he exemplifies exactly why tennis is considered the most classy sport out there. That's part of his mystique. He says the right things. He does the right things on and off the court. Meanwhile, Djokovic is pretty much an asshole. He yells at people frequently. He throws his rackets at ball boys, even if not intentionally. But he does not embody what tennis wants their image to be, to project. But make no mistake about it. He either is the GOAT or he's going to be soon when he gets to 20 and counting. And that is the Caps recap. All right, let's go ahead and finish up with some NFL talk. So I think this this came out a few days ago uh, by Adam Schefter. Um, Basically, like an article came out saying that Russell Wilson and his team met with the Seattle Seahawks and didn't request a trade, but basically says if a trade were to happen, I would be more than willing to go and play for these teams. The teams that he said that he would consider are the Cowboys, the Saints, the Raiders, and the Bears. Um, I really don't know why he'd want to go to any of those teams, but okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I can understand a couple of them. Okay, explain. Okay, well. The Cowboys. The Cowboys, they have one of the best rosters in, in the NFL and have for a bunch of years. Um, now, injuries defensively have really hurt them the last couple of years. Head coach, you know, they had a dud head coach and then they hired another dud head coach. So that certainly hasn't helped them. Um, but, you know, it makes sense considering Dak is still asking for everything and more and the Cowboys and Jerry Jones are not likely to give it to him. I could see that being as a destination point. The Saints, I think they're ready made and their window is closing. The rumors are Drew Brees is going to retire. They still have an elite defense. They have an elite wide receiver. They have maybe the best running back in the game. So they have a lot of pieces. They don't have a quarterback if Brees retires. And even if he does, I think we saw that he finally started to fall off that cliff a lot, partially due to injuries. Um, but it, it would make sense. The Raiders, that one is a little confusing. Um, one, Derek Carr had a pretty superb last year for his standards. So I don't know like if they would even be in the market to be looking for a quarterback that would cost as much as Russ, but also they they're still missing a lot of pieces. And so I don't know why, if that would be a good fit and the bears, I just, do you really want to go play in Aaron Rodgers division uh, every year and then have to play outdoors in the cold all the time? I mean, I guess he plays in the Northwest, but it doesn't really get cold. Chicago's a whole nother animal, plus the pressure of playing up there. Those two don't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I could see the Cowboys and the Saints being logical landing points. The Saints are in, like, cap hell next year. I don't know how they could take on Russell Wilson's salary. Like, they'd have to cut half their team to get, like, like to make it happen. Well, yeah, but it's a quarterback-driven league. If you don't have one, you're not going to win. So, basically, you're saying 49er fans should be terrified at this point. Oh, yeah. If you guys don't get Watson, absolutely. Your season's done before it begins. Jimmy Garoppolo, like I saw a stat this week, Jimmy Garoppolo has played in half of the games he's been on the 49ers roster. He's only played in half. That's, that's not good. No, that's not good. And so you're going into <laughs> next year with an offensive line that's not very good and hoping he's going to stay healthy. I, I don't know. Like, I don't get it. So basically following up from uh, – from all that about Russell Wilson, Jeremy Fowler um, on his Twitter account, he said, quote, Russell Wilson does not expect to be traded as of now. 
and Seattle has not approached Wilson with any potential deals, sources say. But multiple league executives believe Seattle will eventually make Wilson available because of brewing tension. This will get nothing but interesting. I mean, I what? do think it will get interesting, but I agree. I don't I, – I, at the end of the day, I don't see him moving. I think the organization is too smart to let him go. It, it is so clear – as day and even though he had a really poor second half last season they also once again had no running game down the stretch and we've seen when they had offensive line issues in the past and no running game you, you can't expect Russ to go out there and just do everything a couple seasons ago i think he had 40 of, he accounted for 40 of the team's 41 touchdowns passing and rushing i mean you're putting so much on that guy and unless you help him out now the, he has some receivers um but when you, if you don't have an offensive line, which they've been spotty up front, it, it makes it makes a really challenging. He's been sacked how many times, season after season? He's running for his life, and half of the big plays that they have, he creates with his legs. Um, and you know, I, I'm sure he's wondering, like, are they going to do something to help me? They should do everything in their power to keep him help, um, happy because, I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and um, if he's not happy, then I mean, you want to keep your best player happy, obviously. Um, so we'll see. I I honestly think that nothing's going to happen. I think um, they'll probably sign a couple offensive linemen like to help them keep them happy and maybe get them another receiver and um, or actually like a running back because Chris Carson's probably going to leave in free agency. So so they definitely need like a running game because no one runs the ball more than the Seahawks. Like I think we know that. Well, um, and. Not only if they lose Carson, but Hyde as well has a ton of mileage and is injury prone. I mean, all of their backs have been banged up the last couple of years. They're having a really hard time keeping people healthy along with their offensive line. They've been dealing with that for years now. And they need to figure out a way to, to sustain and to build some depth at those positions. So they, they need to rework a lot of things to make Russ happy. But at Agreed. the end of the day, I agree. I, you just can't move a guy like that. He's, what, 29, 30 years old now. Like, you're not going to move a quarterback of his caliber at that point in his career when he's still playing at such a high level. It would be a massive mistake. Yeah, like, I just think this is one of those stories, like, in the offseason that probably has, like, a little smoke there that he's unhappy, but I don't think it's anything. I mean, like, he's not asking for a trade. Like, it's not like the other guy, Deshaun Watson, who – Let's just update a little bit about what's going on with him. I guess this week he met with uh, the uh, Houston Texans' new head coach, David Culley, and he met with him. He said, I still want to be traded. Uh, I mean, the standoff just continues. I mean, like the Texans say, there's no way we're trading him. He's saying that he'll sit out games. He told the head coach, I still want out. Like, nothing has changed. Like, nothing you can tell me is going to change my mind. I mean, when is this going to end? I mean – like, you think this drags all the way into, like, the season? It, I mean, it's starting to look like it's going to. I just have a hard time believing he's actually going to sit out these games and forfeit all that money. Guys talk a big game in that regard, but that's a lot of money to just give away. Um, and, you know, not to mention he can go out there and prove that he's still worth it in hopes to improve his market value going forward. Um so, I mean, we'll see, 
but maybe maybe eventually the the team decides you know what we believe him he's not going to play and they do move him because there's certainly plenty of suitors and teams out there that are interested and you wonder depending on when this were to happen if he does get moved or they start having active conversations with these teams legitimate active conversations how much leverage will the Texans have because right now they have a ton and they could get a king's ransom for him but if he sits out a couple games and now they're realizing wait a minute he might actually stick to this they might not have nearly as much leverage and be able to acquire quite the assets that they could if they made the deal right now i think that the houston texans are so scared to trade him because they know how good he is and they think man like if we trade him like we're gonna look like a donkey but <laughs> yep in reality, yes. Yes, that's true. I mean, like, it would be so hard to trade, like, a franchise quarterback to another team and watch him win a Super Bowl. Like, that would be, like, the worst thing ever. However, they would be getting back a king's ransom in return. I mean, they could possibly get back two good players and three first-round draft picks. I mean, I mean, it would be one of the biggest hauls since Herschel Walker. Yeah, yeah. It, Seriously, right? It would be massive, and... <laughs> Knowing Miami potentially is on the table as a possible suitor. Now, they, they've been posturing and saying they love Tua. They want to stand by Tua. But we've all watched Tua play. Um, and we all knew, and I, I said this when he was still at Alabama, I didn't think he would project well into the NFL. He didn't have arm strength. And he was playing with the best offensive line, best running backs, best wide receivers, and best defense in college football almost every game he played. That certainly helps you a little bit. Um, and knowing that going into the pros when you weren't going to have any of those things against NFL defenses, he would struggle. And I think that came to fruition when you watched him play to the point where they had to have Fitzpatrick come in and save them game after game. And it came up just short of making the postseason. Uh, so they're, you know, they're saying they're standing behind him. He's their guy. But internally, I'm sure that they see what everyone else sees. So I would think that they're on the table. And if they are, that's the number three pick. Houston has the opportunity to get their first round pick back and more. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Cause yeah, you, you normally don't ever want to trade someone like that. Like we said with Russ guys, this talented at that position in the league today, you typically can't trade, but when you can get a haul like that, and if, if he is proven that he will sit out, if he does, you know, start the season not playing and you believe that he's not going to, going to come back it, it might be worth it to to actually move him i think it's the smart thing because if the texans are smart which they're probably not very smart but if they were smart i mean there's some quarterbacks in this draft that they could snag one of them if they're smart but if they sit back and they don't take a quarterback i mean either late like in the second round like if they go that route I mean, like, they have an opportunity to get a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields right now. And if they end up passing on that and then they end up, like, trading, like, like Deshaun Watson, then you have to hope to get a quarterback next year, which is fine. You can get a quarterback next year. I don't know what the quarterback class is in 2022, but this year's class looks pretty mm -hmm. good, and you have an opportunity to get one. So I think that he gets traded on draft night. I just do, and I really, really hope it's going to be the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> I know it's not gonna. I know it's not gonna happen, but I really want to get that text alert from Adam Schefter saying like, 
It starts off with Blockbuster. The 49ers have acquired Deshaun Watson for three for for, for two first round picks and a second round pick and Fred Warner. That's what that's what I want to see. Like, no offense to Fred Warner. I love Fred Warner, but I want to see the 49ers give up two first round picks, a second round pick, and Fred Warner, and then call it a day. Well, yeah, that's if anything, it. that's a tra- compliment to Fred Warner. Like the fact that it, exactly. it would need to be included in a trade like that. Exactly. And then and then a follow-up tweet after that, the 49ers trade Jimmy Garoppolo back to New England for a fourth round. <laughs> you know, I could see Bill That's doing what I that. I could definitely see Bill saying, you know what, I could win with that guy. How, mu- how much do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is worth? Like a fourth rounder, fifth rounder? Maybe a third. Really? You think yeah. so? Yeah, I, I think so. I think... Uh, now, I think part of that depends on where he would be going um, mm-hmm. and if it seemed like the right fit, a team that could run the ball and just have him run play action. Um, and, and you know, I mean, kind of the formula that you guys ran a couple of years ago where you had a solid defense, you need a lot of pieces in place, but he's shown he can be successful given the right circumstances. I love having a quarterback that his specialty is play action ball. It's like, come on, man. I mean, like, I want a quarterback that can, like, literally throw a football 40 yards down the field on the money, can scramble out of the pocket, make plays with his legs. Like, that. that's what I want. I heard a story once, speaking of someone with an arm like that, I heard a story about Josh Allen. I don't know if this is true, but if it is, it is incredible. Someone I trust said they saw a video of him throwing a ball from his knees, 80 yards. What? Really? Someone I oh trust. Oh, my gosh. Oh. And now, now, he is known for having one of the biggest arms people have seen in a long, long time, maybe since Elway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's possible. But holy crap, if that's true, that's unbelievable. I want that to be true so bad. <laughs> right? How cool would that be to see? Oh, I mean, oh man. For sure. And, you know, he, he's – put the bills on his back and they had a phenomenal season this year. You know, they, they had to fall before you can take that next big leap, but I think they'll be back next year. They'll, they'll be fun to watch. Well, we have another week closer to the NFL draft and free agency. We're, we're, we're a week, just, just a little over a week away from the NBA all-star game and, and festivities. Kendall, this has been awesome. Episode two in the books and many more to come. Thank you so much again for being here. And do uh, you have any final thoughts? Um, no, just it was a ton of fun. I'm excited for All-Star weekend and uh, the NFL draft. I'm always looking forward to that. So we'll see how all that stuff plays out. We'll, we'll do this again soon.